Well, hey, everybody, it's Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to this week's sermon podcast. In this week's podcast, we are continuing to try to simplify the book of Revelation. And it's like we talked about last week. Revelation can often feel like it's the most complicated book in the entire Bible to understand. But if you can get past the signs and the symbols and the scenery happening in this book and get to the heart of what Revelation is about, it's not only easy to understand, it's important for all of us to hear. So in this week's sermon, that's what we're going to continue to do. We're going to continue to simplify the book of Revelation for you. And this week we're going to be taking a look at Revelation chapter 12 together. Now inside of Revelation chapter 12 we run into a couple of important signs that we have to understand to understand the book of Revelation. The first is a woman who is in labor and the second is a big red fiery dragon. And when we can understand what these two symbols represent and what they're trying to tell us, it will really help us understand this book. So that's what we're going to be talking about this week and let's just jump right into this week's sermon. All right, so last week we started into a series of sermons based on the book of Revelation. And last Sunday I told you that we do the same thing with the book of Revelation that the folks over at Hasbro did with the classic board game Mousetrap. Now in the game of Mousetrap, one of the goals is to trap other players' mice as they move their way around the the game board. But the folks at Hasbro make that way more complicated than it has to be. If you're going to trap the mouse in the game of mousetrap, you have to use a boot, a bucket, a broom, and a bathtub just to have a chance of catching that little critter. When all you really need to catch a mouse in the game of mousetrap is the net at the end. Well, we do the same thing with the book of Revelation. We make the book of Revelation more complicated than it has to be. We make the book of Revelation more complicated than it has to be. So in this series of sermons, we are trying to simplify the book of Revelation. And we're trying to simplify the book of Revelation by stripping away some of the symbols and signs and scenery that's contained in this book and focusing on what the heart of the book of Revelation is. And at its heart, the book of Revelation is a message that Jesus wants his followers to hear. And it's a message that Jesus' followers have needed to hear throughout history. That's why we as followers of Jesus. That's why the church continues to read the book of Revelation. It's why we've read it and reread it for thousands of years. We keep reading the book of Revelation because it contains a message that we all need to hear. And we need to hear this message from the book of Revelation because it gives us a promise for the future, but not a prediction about the future. That's right. The book of Revelation gives us a promise for the future, but not a prediction about the future. And this morning I want to start digging deeper into the promise that Jesus gives us in the book of Revelation. The promise that Jesus gives all of his followers in the book of Revelation. And we're going to do that this morning by taking a closer look at three different scenes, three different stories that play out in Revelation chapter 12. So if you will, go ahead and grab your Bible, whether you've got a printed one like mine or an app on your phone, and turn with me to Revelation chapter 12. We're to start reading together in verse 1, and we're going to make our way through uh, most of this chapter this morning. So let's pick up Revelation chapter 12. We'll start reading in verse 1. This is what John writes. He writes, Then a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and her crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant. And she cried out because she was in labor, 
and pain from giving birth. Now let's stop right here for just a minute, and let's talk about what's happening in these first couple of verses in Revelation chapter 12. Like John does in the rest of the book of Revelation, he is trying to communicate with us in these first couple of verses in Revelation chapter 12 the message that Jesus wants his followers to hear. And John is doing this by using symbolic language. And every symbol that John uses in the book of Revelation would have meant something to the very first people that John was writing this letter to. That's what we use symbols for. Symbols are used to convey a deeper or a more complex meaning in a simplified way. Now, we talked about this last week when I showed you this symbol, the American flag. And it's a symbol that we use for our country. And even if you don't know the exact meaning behind the 50 stars and the 13 stripes, or if you don't understand what the colors of red, white, and blue represent, just by looking at this symbol, just by putting it up on the screen this morning, you have an idea of what it represents. Well, the symbols that John uses do the same thing for the first people that were hearing it, first people that were reading his book. These symbols meant something to them. And just like it wouldn't have meant anything if we picked up that American flag, took it back in history 1,900 years and showed it to the Roman Empire, well, the symbols that we read in Revelation don't always make sense to us 1,900 years after they were written. But thanks to good scholarship, we are able to go back and understand what these symbols represent. So in the first two verses in Revelation chapter 12, John is using a symbol, and he is using the symbol of a woman that is in labor. That's the image that John is using. And this image, a woman that is in labor, is a common image that is used in the Old Testament to symbolize the people of God. So this part of Jesus' message for his followers begins with an image of Jesus' followers. But it doesn't stop there. Let's keep reading in verses 3 and 4 and see what happens next. John writes, Then another sign appeared in heaven. It was a great fiery red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven royal crowns on his heads. His tail swept down a third of heaven's stars and threw them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. All right, so the first thing that John tells us about in this passage is he tells us about the people of God. And then the next thing that he tells us about the next symbol that we run into is this terrifying dragon with a whole bunch of heads and a whole bunch of horns and a whole bunch of crowns. And we get lost in that most of the time. We're like, why does the dragon have so many heads and so many crowns and all that fun sort of stuff? But let's get back to the basics. What does this dragon represent? Well, John tells us about this dragon. And he tells us about this dragon, and he tells us, he makes it clear that it is a big and powerful dragon. A dragon that can wipe out a third of the heaven stars just by swishing its tail around. So we have this big, scary, nasty, red, fiery dragon. And it has to be this big, nasty, scary, red, fiery dragon, because this dragon represents the worst of the worst evil. This dragon, for John, is the devil himself. So in this part of John's message, we start with the people of God, Jesus' followers, and then we have the devil both show up. And let me read for you again the second half of Revelation 12, verse 4, and see you'll see what happens again when Jesus' followers and the devil himself encounter one another in this story. So let me read it for you again. 
It says, the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth. Remember, that's us, the people who are following God. So that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. All right, now I want you picturing all of this scene in your head, okay? I want you to picture everything that John has told us so far, okay? So I want you to try to imagine this huge, nasty-looking red dragon with his seven heads and his 14 little beady eyes on those seven heads, leering down at this poor woman who's trying to give birth to a child. I want you to try to see this dragon slowly crawling toward this woman with smoke billowing out of all of the nostrils on all of his heads as he moves that way while this woman writhes in labor pain. I want you to see this dragon with his teeth exposed, waiting to devour this woman's child as soon as the child is born. Can you picture all of that in your head? I mean, that's why John uses these symbols. He wants to bring it to life to give you these images that you can envision in your mind. And if you can do that, if you can see this dragon waiting in front of this woman to devour her child, you can tell that it's an ominous scene. It's a scary scene. It's the kind of scene that would make viewers shudder if this were showed up in an episode of Game of Thrones. Because we all know what's about to happen next. We all know what's going to happen. We know that that dragon is going is to strike. And that this dragon that can erase half of the stars in the sky with a swipe of his tail is going to erase this woman and her child in an instant. And the whole scene only gets more scary and more unsettling when we remember what the woman and the dragon represent. The woman is us, the people of God, and the dragon is the devil himself. And in this story, we're doomed. We are doomed. The devil is waiting to devour us, and there is nothing that you and I can do to stop it. And that's exactly how the first people who would have read or heard the book of Revelation, would have felt about the world that they lived in. They would have felt like the devil was waiting around them and about to destroy them. They would have felt like they were doomed. And they would have felt like there was nothing that they could do to stop them. So let's take a minute and talk about what's happening in the world when the book of Revelation was written. When John was writing the book of Revelation, there... There is a whole lot that's going on in the world. Now, there is, I'll tell you flat out, there's some debate about exactly when the book of Revelation was written. But most scholars, just about every scholar out there, will agree that it was written somewhere between 65 um, A.D. and 95 A.D. We agree on that. And there's little to no doubt that during this 30-year period of time that a lot is happening inside of the Roman Empire and that the Roman Empire, during this 30-year period of time, is doing extremely well. This 30-year period of time is part of what's called the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, and it is the golden era of the Roman Empire. At this point in history, the Roman Empire stretched from the British Isles up in the north down to the African desert in the south. It stretched from the Atlantic Ocean in the west all the way to the Euphrates River in the east. To the people that were living in that day and time, it would have felt like Rome was in control of the entire world. And the Roman Empire was willing to do whatever it took to keep it that way. At that point in time, Rome had one of the largest and most well-trained armies in human history. 
that would not only defend their territories, they were also working to expand their borders. But the Roman Empire wasn't just concerned with conquering more land. The Roman Empire also wanted to conquer individuals. They wanted everyone living inside of the Roman world to think and act just like a Roman. And let's just say that Rome had some messed up priorities that they wanted other people to follow and live out. And one of the greatest errors in Roman thinking at this point in time was that their emperors were divine. And since the emperors thought that they were gods, they wanted to be treated like they were gods. They wanted to be worshipped like they were gods. They wanted to be revered like they were gods. They wanted to be honored and obeyed like they were gods. But clearly that doesn't jive well with our faith, right? I mean, we as followers of Jesus, we believe that God is God and that only God is God. So Christians were refusing to worship the emperors of Rome. They were refusing to do what they were ordered by law, what they were commanded to do. They were refusing to obey Rome. And let's just say that doesn't sit well with the Roman Empire or the the Roman emperors. So Rome's going to punish the Christians for the way that they're behaving. Rome is going to punish the Christians for not worshiping Rome's emperors like they were gods. And Rome is going to punish the Christians that are living in this day and age in one of three ways. They are either going to to confiscate all of the Christians' property, they are going to exile the Christian away from their homelands, or most commonly, they are going to execute these Christians for refusing to worship the emperor. So when John is talking about this big, powerful, nasty-looking dragon that's breathing down the neck of the church, that's what they felt like. That's what the first people that John was writing to would have felt like. They would have felt like this dragon was breathing down their necks, waiting to devour them. Everyone that John was writing to, everyone in the early church, would have known exactly what John meant when he wrote about this dragon, poised and ready to strike. Let's be honest here. You don't have to have an emperor threatening to execute you to feel like a giant dragon is waiting to consume you. I mean, there's a lot happening in our church right now that can make us feel anxious and scared and make us feel like there's a dragon hovering around us ready to snap. It's just about all of you know, our church had to make a tough decision at the end of 2017. We had to make a decision We had to decide that the only way that we can continue to move forward, to follow God's calling as God's people, was for us to sell our building and relocate into a new property. And ever since we made that decision, it's kind of felt like there's a big, scary, nasty-looking red dragon that's out there just waiting to get us sometimes. And the further that we've made it in this process, the bigger that dragon has felt. Sometimes it feels like this big old dragon that could knock down a third of the stars from heaven's sky has only gotten bigger for us. So there are times, and there have been times over the last 18 months where we felt scared. There have been times when we have felt anxious. There have been times where we have wondered if we are going to be able to make it, to make it through this move and if we're going to continue, or how we're going to continue to be a church on the other side of it all. There have been plenty of times along the way when we've wondered, if that dragon is going to get us. So even though John wrote this letter 1,900 years ago, 
even though Jesus gave John this revelation 1,900 years ago, it's a message that we still need to hear right now, today. So let's check out the rest of this story and hear the rest of Jesus' message. We'll pick back up in Revelation chapter 12, verse 5. Now remember, we have the woman who is waiting to give birth, and we have the dragon who is waiting to devour the child the woman gives birth to. All right? So Revelation 12, verse 5 says, She gave birth to a son, a male child who is to rule all the nations with an iron rod, and her child was snatched up. All right. This is what the dragon has been waiting for. This big, scary, nasty dragon has been waiting for this baby to be born so that he can snatch it up and destroy it, to put an end to our faith once and for all. So now's the point in the story where we should all probably just start looking away because the carnage is inevitable and it's going to be horrific, right? The baby's been born, it's been snatched up, bad things are starting to happen, but let's be honest, we all kind of have that traffic accident syndrome where we just want, we know we shouldn't look, but we want to peek as we're driving by because we want to know what happens. So we have to keep reading. We have to keep reading and see what happens in the story. So here we go. We'll pick back up in, 12, in chapter 12, verse 5 again. And it says, She gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with an iron rod. And her child was snatched up to God and his throne. And then the woman fled into the desert where God has prepared a place for her. There she will be taken care of for 1,260 days. Now, wait a minute. That's not how the story was supposed to go, right? That's not how the story was supposed to go. The baby was supposed to be devoured. The woman was supposed to be destroyed. This big, scary, nasty, red, fiery dragon was just waiting for this to happen. The dragon was supposed to win. But he didn't. Even when things looked their worst, even when it looked like the dragon was going to devour and destroy this woman and her child, even when it looked like the Roman Empire was going to kill off the church, even when it looks like our future is uncertain and we don't know how good the days ahead of us are going to be, the dragon doesn't win. John tells us that the baby was snatched up, but the baby's not snatched up by the dragon. The baby is snatched up by God. And the woman is whisked away to a place in the desert that God has prepared for her to keep her safe. So this is the message that John is trying to convey to us. This is the message that Jesus wants us to hear, and we're going to put it up on the screen for you to make it easy. Even when things look their worst, God is still in charge. Even when things look their worst, God is still in charge. And just in case we didn't pick up on this message the first time, John's going to tell us the same thing again in the next scene that he describes. So let's read this one together. Revelation chapter 12, we'll start in verse 7. This is what John writes. It says, Then there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought the dragon. The dragon and his angels fought back, but they did not prevail. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven, so the great dragon is thrown down, the old snake who is called the devil and Satan himself. The deceiver of the whole world was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. All right, so in this section, 
after the dragon, after the devil has failed to destroy the church on earth, he decides that he's going to take his battle to heaven. And what does John say about this battle? He says that the dragon did not prevail. God still won. So even when things look their worst, even when the devil takes the battle to heaven's gate, God is still in charge. And just in case you missed this message the first two times, John's going to tell it to us one more time. In Revelation chapter 12, we're going to read verses 13 through 16. This is what it says. When the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he chased the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of the great eagle so that she could fly to her place in the desert. There she would be taken care of out of the snake's reach for a time and times and half a time. Then from his mouth the snake poured out a river of water after the woman so that the river would sweep her away. But the earth helped the woman. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured out from his mouth. So, after the dragon, after the devil, has tried to destroy Jesus and the church on the earth and lost. After the dragon has taken the battle to heaven and he has lost the war there too, the dragon comes back to earth. And this time he's after the woman once again who still represents the people of God. And once again it looks like the dragon might just destroy the woman. The dragon opens up his mouth, but instead of breathing fire like we always think of dragons breathing, this one breathes out a river of water to sweep the woman away. But what happens? God protects her, and the dragon loses again, and God wins again. Three times, Jesus tells us the same thing using different symbols in different situations, but the message remains the same. Jesus wants us to know that God always wins. No matter how bad things may look, God always wins. No matter how big the enemy before you is, God always wins. No matter how much fear or anxiety, or uncertainty we may have about life and what's happening right now, God always wins. God won during the first century when the Roman Empire looked like it was poised to destroy the church and wipe Christianity off of the map before we really got our feet underneath of us. And within a couple of hundred years, the empire that once tried to destroy our faith embraced our faith, and Christianity became the official religion of Rome. God's going to do that with us, too. Now, I can't stand here this morning and predict for you what the future holds for Melbourne Heights Baptist Church. I don't know how everything is going to turn out for us on the other side of our relocation, but I do know the promise that Jesus makes for our future, time and time again. And Jesus promises his followers that God is going to win. Now, next Sunday, we're going to talk about what that means for us. What it means for us that God wins and that we get to be on God's side. We're going to talk about what this means for us as people who follow God. And not just through the good times, but as people who also follow God through the bad times. 
So I encourage you to come back next week as we talk about what it means to win in the book of Revelation. But for now, let me invite you to join with me in a word of prayer. God, we thank you for the chance that we've had to listen this morning to these three stories in the book of Revelation. Three times, God, we found the church, your people, your followers, our faith in tumultuous times. Three times it looked like the dragon, like the devil, was going to get the best of us. But three times, God, you showed that you were in control, that you were in charge, and that you always win. Now, God, you know that every single one of us face situations in our life that are filled with anxiety and with fear and with uncertainty, and we wonder what's going to happen to us in the future. But God, the message to us is clear in the book of Revelation. The message is clear that as your followers, that you're going to win and that we get to be on that winning side too. So God, remind us as we go through the season of anxiety and uncertainty in our church, not knowing exactly what things will look like down the road, that as long as we continue to follow you, that you're going to win and that you're going to let us win with you. So let us have faith. Let us hold strong. Let us trust in you, no matter how uncertain the future may be, because you are a God that wins. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey there, it's Adam again, and I just want to thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon podcast. And I hope that listening to this week's message is helping you make more sense out of what's going on inside of the book of Revelation. And I just want to take a second and recap what we've talked about so far. In the first week of the sermon series, we talked about the fact that the book of Revelation is a message that Jesus wants his followers to hear, and it's a message that we need to hear. And this week, we talked about the first part of that message. And that first part of the message is that no matter how bad things may look, God is still in control and God always wins. Now next week we're going to keep building on this. We're going to hear the next part of the message that Jesus has that he wants all of us to hear. So I encourage you to tune back in next Tuesday when the next episode of our sermon podcast drops. If you haven't subscribed yet, make sure you do that before you leave so that next week's episode is sent straight into your favorite podcasting app as soon as it releases. And as always, if you haven't left us a review yet, please do that. Your reviews mean a lot to us and they can help spread the word about this podcast and share this message with other folks who want and need to hear it as well. As always, I want to hope, I'm wishing that you guys have a great week this week. I'm praying for you, and we'll see you back here next Tuesday.